Hello listeners, this is Josh butting in at the beginning of the episode to tell you an important announcement. We are now available on iTunes and Stitcher. Just search for Mr. Man Zero One Radio, that's M-R-M-A-N Zero One Space Radio, and you'll find all of our episodes available to download or stream. If you want to help us out reach new audience members, just give us a rating or review, and it will really do the trick. Thanks so much for all your support and for listening to our show, and I'll let you now get back to today's episode. Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. This lyrical, evocative, thought-provoking journal of a man's quest for truth and for himself has touched and changed an entire generation and is ready to reach out to a new one. At its heart, the story is all too simple. A man and his son take a motorcycle trip across America. But this is not a simple trip at all, for around every corner... Through mountain and desert, wind and rain, and searing heat and biting cold, their pilgrimage leads them to new vistas of self-discovery and renewal. Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance is an elemental work that has helped to, has helped to shape and define the past 25 years of American culture. Book Bash! Welcome to our book club podcast, where we pick a book to read each month that we then review. The best part is, you can join our book club! Just read the book with us and give your own feedback on the book and our reviews in the comments below. Be warned, if you haven't read the book and you want to listen to the show anyway, there will be spoilers. We choose the book for the next episode at the end of this one. I hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Book Bash. I'm your host, Josh, joined by all these friends of mine. Yeah, it's Garner. Alex. I am Kirby. Or Brady. Yeah, depends sometimes, on your feelings. Sometimes referred to as Brady on accident. No. Um, and so our book was uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Um, suggested by you, Kirby. Yeah, it sure was. Por que, senor? Um... Where do I start? I'd heard about the book, and I guess I selected it largely based on the title. Okay. And I had read a chunk of a book that's kind of, but not really related, tangentially related, called uh, Shop Class as Soulcraft. And I got about halfway through that book before my dog ate it. <laughs> but, um, so I never got to finish it, but that's uh, completely beside the point. So, hearing the title, I like I had to put it. I like the idea of maintaining things, and I think a book. And I just like looked at the title and said, "You know, a book about Zen and maintaining motorcycles sounds like it could, it could do well for me." Wow! Well, if I remember right, did you say this one was also a gift? Yes, mm-hmm. actually, my dad had read it and uh, gave it to me for Christmas. Okay. Cool. Um, he often thinks of things that I would never think of, think to ask for. <laughs> so uh, I take his gifts as little uh, prize box, random prize boxes. I am quite curious. Um, did your father say anything about the book before he gave it to you? Not particularly, no. Oh. Did he, like, did he have, like, a sly smirk, or... Well, it was on the phone, because I only see him once every couple years. Oh, okay. Years, so. Blind referral. <laughs> so, so he just hung up and, like, told his wife, Ah, got him! <laughs> <laughs> well, chances are my dad thought it was extremely uh, moving and groundbreaking. This is why I have trouble being critical of things. This this might be this this could be it, right? I've been working really hard on that, and I think this book has been really uh, um, 
a good step in the direction towards me being critical of things. Yeah, you know, of the, the book bashing. So, um, so what did you like about the book? Yeah. I we're gonna we're gonna talk, we're gonna talk a lot of crap about this book pretty soon here, but I actually like the the idea of quality and talking about it and trying to like think about it and how you can apply it and what it is. I'm a huge fan of the idea of like doing things well. You know, just just for the sake of you audience members who who actually listen to this podcast and don't read the books. By the way, that's a thing. Actually, a buddy of mine sent me a thing. He's like, "Thanks for telling me that trichonomics sucks." <laughs> Dodge that bullet. I was like, what? You didn't read it? He's like, no, I just listened to you guys and picked the ones that sound good. Most of them are crap. <laughs> Thanks. Right? So um, we, we are the bullet takers. And um, uh, where, where was I going with that? We appreciate you audience members that take the bullet with us. Yeah, yeah. Is that so for those that don't read it, this is about inquiries into quality. What is quality and how does quality... How is quality manifested from in like the a world? philosopher's yeah. psychologist approach, <laughs> I suppose. Well, I, I'm going to I'm going to stop right there because there's a challenge that happens in the book, and I've actually spent a good deal of time thinking about the challenge. I even posted the challenge to r slash philosophy. Yeah, oh, they've heard about the book, haven't they? Oh yes, <laughs> they had words for you, didn't they? They have many downvotes. <laughs> <laughs> for me, for bringing up the book. Ah, so so um, but in the book, uh, Piercig is a teacher at Montana State University, and he asks his students to uh, describe quality in both substance and form in three hundred and fifty words or less. And in the book, apparently, all these bright people at Montana State University just cannot write anything about the subject. And neither can piercing. That is the thing. So, like, so, so just pick on that a little bit, right? So, like, it's about quality, right? But it's about quality and, like, like, can you find, like, a tangible quality? Is there, like, is there a thing that is quality? Yeah, I would say more so it's, it's less about quality than it is trying to find quality. Really? Yeah. I agree with that point because I got, I was really excited at the part of the book where, he's, where uh, he starts talking about his the beginning of his, his instruction at Montana State, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, we're getting in. Like, this is like, I swear to God, I think it was like the second third of the book. And I was like, finally, we're getting into some like, meat and potatoes here. I'm happy here. Like, he was just talking, like, digging into some stuff. All these cool ideas, 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 ideas. And then I realized that we just like gone off. Like, he's, he said it was going to happen. Yeah. He literally was warned, the narrator warns you about it. He's like, by the way, we're going to go off the rails at some point here. Yeah, and then he's like, now we're going off the rails. And then, the, then it went off the rails. Yeah. See, I want to back up a little bit. Yeah. While it's yeah. kind of about quality, it's really about his story of refinding himself after he went crazy trying to find quality. Like, he went crazy. He went through involuntary electroshock therapy. He basically became another person. He describes it as having another personality. And it's about his trip back through these areas where he went crazy and trying to figure out why he went crazy and just kind of explain that story. And it's a lot of his philosophy on life and it's a lot of his philosophy on motorcycle maintenance to some degree. Yeah. Um, and about how quality relates to doing a good job on something like maintaining a motorcycle. So yes, it's about quality, but there is a bigger picture there as well. There, there, yeah, there's there's kind of like two parallel things going on there, right? Like there's just a full on story. Like 
um, one of uh, one of our listeners, DP, you know who you are. Um, he he told me he's just like, oh, some fiction, and then the next day he sent me, he's like, you tricked me. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's that's the message I got. I you think we, I think. I think we specifically warned them at the end of the last podcast yeah, what it was going to be about. Yeah, I don't know. Like so, um, so anyways, so we had to like disambiguate quality here. But so Kirby, you really like quality. Why? Um, this happened with the willpower instinct as well. Um, it's mm-hmm. easy to like take a piece of the book that the guy's writing and just be like, "Huh, this fits a couple of ideas I've had. I like that part." Sure. Um, I like the idea of doing things well. I think you can conclude that at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so talking about things being good and or being done well pleases me. And so like, he did a lot of talking about and around quality. I, I want to say he talked around it, but... So I really appreciated that, and I appreciated the story because I like me some good stories. Oh, right. Um, so I guess I liked the underlying theme of the book. The idea, as it were, was good. Implementation, I'm not so sold on. Uh, just before we move on to other people's likes, um, how did you feel about the narrator? Um, like, yeah, the, wait, the audible narrator? Yeah, uh, the okay. audible narrator. I, I like the guy. I mean, yeah. he's a fan actually. <clears throat> yeah, actually, really I really like his voice. I just, I was just curious. What I really, what I really liked is that you could tell whenever he switched to the son's voice. Yes. So I, I wanted to say, I remember. Oops. Um, you, Alex, mentioning that you had heard the the like audio snippet for this and thought that the narrator sounded kind of bad. I think that was for a different book, actually. Oh, okay. But I did want to mention, like, at the beginning, like the very fir- first part, was that Persig reading it? Like before the book began, it, it was, was like somebody an intro. else. No, yeah. they, um, he identified himself as like an editor or a producer or something. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. paying attention, forward. but that was horrible. That oh, was yeah, bad. Yeah. yeah, I was yeah. like listening to it on three x speed just to try and suffer through it. <laughs> no, the, but yeah, the main narrator was good. Yeah, the beginning of the foreword, the guy narrating that identifies himself as like uh, I think an editor or something. Um, so for a later edition of the book. As soon as the narrator got into this while we're on the subject, I was like, I recognize this voice, and it turns out <coughs> he also narrates the first Mistborn trilogy by Brandon Sanderson too. Hey, and he does book. a really good job there as well. Because there's a lot of characters with different <laughs> cultural and gender backgrounds and the guy does does them all really well and distinctly. Mistborn cool. redeems Sanderson for Elantris. It's true. <laughs> you keep telling me this. It's on my it's list. I true. just have it. Just, I just have to. I just have to bring it up. Yeah. Because you know, Elantris. <laughs> I probably would have moved on to Mistborn, but I actually picked up History of Western Philosophy, which is like forty hours oh after reading this. Oh man, this sounds excellent. So, but okay. anyways. <laughs> Anything else you like? Uh, I like the story. I like the underlying theme. I'm gonna leave it at that. Okay. Like, I like. I generally, yeah, I, I like those things. All right. I guess I'll go. I liked a lot of the day-to-day philosophy stuff. A lot of the first part of the book where he's talking about driving with the I can't remember their name. The other couple. The younger couple. Yeah. Yeah. The other couple. And you know, trying trying to juxtaposition his quality although he doesn't name it yet with their technology phobia and kind of how he explores that and 
just like the inner workings of his head. Like a lot of it is just his random thoughts for the first part of the book. And I really enjoyed that, just the day-to-day philosophy. The second part is really interesting, but it's neither here nor there. It's one man's take on a lot of history of philosophy and how Mm -hmm. he interprets it. And I kind of like the conclusions he comes to, but again, it's kind of neither here nor there. It's Mm -hmm. just one guy's take, so... That's mine. I like the day-to-day, the inner workings, the deep thinking. Yeah. I, um... Yeah, so things I like about the book. Like, I'm, I'm gonna just say it. Like, I like philosophy books. I took a uh, number of philosophy classes. And, um, I like any book that actually causes me to pause and, like, think. Right? Like, I... <laughs> you know, when he did the challenge, I was like... Huh. And at first, I just started, like, nailing it out. I was like, you stupid. You, uh, yeah, I gotta get this done, and I'm like writing it out. 350 words, I'll do this in 100. And then I stopped, <laughs> and I was like, maybe I don't understand what he means by substance and form. And so that that caused me to like go even farther. Because at first I was nailing out like an explanation of how you can detect quality and how it is and, and where it's at. And uh, But, it, but it, it had occurred to me that he might have had like this other thing going on. I tried to get some other people who are interested in philosophy to talk to me about substance and form. It didn't pan out, though. Because um, I brought up Zam. Because <laughs> <laughs> I brought up what? Because I brought up the Zen oh. of art and oh, motorcycle okay, maintenance. Yeah. All right. Right. Yeah, it's, it's So, you know, just, just like uh, for, forever, uh, for the listeners, this book, while it is a bestseller amongst people who have never done philosophy... Amongst people who have done philosophy, it is infamous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it is it really bad. So so it is like just immediate grounds for just getting completely puked on. So uh so uh but what's funny is uh Piercing in the book, and I actually kinda like this, he he sets up that whole thing. Like he's just like cause he's a rhetorician, he like actually sets up that expectation. He's like, Yeah, but they're just gonna hate me just because because I'm puking on their thing, they're like yeah, yeah, he, <laughs> he does this the whole time. He totally right? towards it in the book, he's like, I'm a maverick and everyone hates me, I'm the outcast. I'm uh, the guy, right? And all I'm, the people I'm, in my I'm, I'm, I'm the heretic, they yeah. can't stand me. So I really liked that thing. I also agree with you, Alex. I um I spent my time thinking a little bit about like he was talking about how like people just don't care in the beginning of the book he's just like if people just do things and they don't really it's it's quite obvious they don't really care about the end result or what's or what's happening they you know like you know the 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 car to them is just a vehicle to get to work if it is filled completely with jumbo you know jumbo jack wrappers then whatever right they obviously just don't care right and and (laughs) piercing to me actually like yeah he was sort of like revealing like this other like this ideology of like you know should you just care about everything you do right and uh and then he just like you know for whatever reason just completely jettisons that later but but at first that was an interesting idea it's also worth noting that this was written in the 60s and 70s where Mm -hmm. we're just starting technology expand that to today where we've gone so much farther and he's like warning of these things 30 years ago and i think it really is something that a new generation should read and kind of go back to that state of doing things better rather than just living day to day and kind of bleh 
Yeah, like like he he at times is just like people don't even care how it works. They don't even want to know how it works. Like it, like he tries to explain to someone how it works. Like no, 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 right? Yeah. And that was interesting to me because I was like, yes, actually, that's exactly how it does. I hear this <laughs> many times before. Like I actually really like that. Um, also like how in some ways the book is sort of like a primer to go like like what you're saying, Alex. Right? Like. Maybe you've never done a history of philosophy before, right? But you might read this book and be like, I should go check it out, see what he thinks about it. And then I guess my final thing about it is, um, and I'm going to have to talk about this again later, but um, I tried to defend the sophists at one point in my life. Uh-oh. And I can just appreciate a man who would do such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're on to you, Josh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I enjoyed this book myself. Uh, there's a lot of it. Like, I really wasn't sure what to expect when we picked this one up. Um, and I'd have to say this is definitely one of the titles that makes me enjoy ever getting into this book club in the first place. Because this is not the sort of book I would have picked up on my own. But I'm happy to have read Uh so I knew it was going to be about, you know, philosophy and motorcycles due to the title, basically. But I really wasn't kind of expecting this sort of narrative drive, having this sort of like story to walk you through a lot of these um, philosophical ideas and uh, to kind of tie them together through that narrative. And even with like an, a, a sort of catching mystery about this guy's ghosts and you know, um, forgotten past and all that. And, like, how did this brilliant person go mad? Um, which I'm not necessarily sure I quite understand having finished the book. I do. <laughs> yeah. But, uh... <laughs> I won't <be> anyway. <laughs> but, um... But it was still, I thought the story was actually really enjoyable. Just, just that alone, I, I, um... You know, I had no problems getting through, like, the long... Uh, what the book called Chautauquas. And I actually kind of uh, enjoyed that concept of the Chautauqua because in my work, I've got hours of either working by myself or under head um, headphones or earplugs on machinery. And I spend a lot of that time just sort of waxing philosophical to myself about, you know, anything that seemed from the important to the absurd. And, um, you know, it's part of that sort of thinking and, and, uh, talking that even inspired, like, the show Tangent Train that Garner and I do. Oh, I yeah. just come up with ridiculous ideas, and I'm like, hey, what do you think about this stupid st- shit, you know? <laughs> I, I just have to stop for a moment and mention that word he uh, used, ch- Chautauqua, like, yeah. that doesn't really come out of nowhere, right? Like, he mentions, right. he, like, he mentions some natives, right? But the but there was in the United States a Chautauqua movement mm-hmm. like before television and all that. It was like, like the late eighteen hundreds, I think. Yeah, and they like travel around and do like these semi educational themed shows, like like whole they're like a troop of educators. Yeah, it's a really interesting concept today, considering <laughs> we have like podcasts and stuff, right? Roving we have bands. YouTube, <laughs> yeah. roving bands of sophists. Yeah, <laughs> roving bands of sophists. Exactly. <laughs> they would run around. <laughs> and they would come and 
educate you. <laughs> Blunt force education. Yeah. But, you know, like, um, what's interesting is, um, so so he uses this word in uh, Chautauqua, and it was interesting that he, he selects that to describe, like, his, like, just chilling out on a motorcycle and, like, meandering around. Because it, it sort of implied that he felt that, like, the process of moving and going to place to place to learn was the key element of the Chautauqua, right? It, was, it wasn't actually, like, the band of educators. That's not the core part. It's no. the traveling and educating that he's trying to emphasize, which I find interesting. Yeah, um... And there's a lot of his ideas, especially in the early part of the book, that I felt like I had come to my own conclusion about one way or another as well. And so it was kind of nice to have at least a mild validation by this guy who seemed to know something more about the subject than maybe I did. Oh, yeah. Um, Like, uh, in one of his earlier monologues, he's talking about ghosts, and his son is asking him if if they're real or not. And he kind of was trying to walk around the answer, but eventually was like, you know, physically real, probably not, but the human invention has its own importance to it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so he's trying to explain to his son, like, they might not be really real, but the idea of them is actually important anyways and has value. And I was like, man, that is something that I had come to a, a quite a while to, but it took me a long time to figure that out, you know? Especially when you apply it to ideas about, like, um, truth and right and wrongs and that sort of thing. Like, there are physical truths, but there's a lot of these social truths that are kind of subjective or relative to the individuals, and, you know, they don't really have a very clear definition, but the human invention assigns a certain level of importance to it nonetheless. You know, whether it's actually there or not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kind of ghosts of your own history. Like, yeah. in this, he's talking about Phaedrus, his past self, and yeah. just how that's a ghost to him that's kind of chasing him. Right. It's not, like, physically there, it's just something that's still affecting him. And then later he had this little part where he's talking about um, uh, challenges to gumption and value traps, and he mentions how anxiety that needs peace of mind instead of solutions to problems... And I was like, that's a really good point I think a lot of people today could take from. Is that you're not actually looking for answers necessarily, as you are looking to just kind of calm down. (laughs) A little bit of security about what's going to happen, right? Yeah. So, uh, anything else you liked about it? Um, I think that kind of covers most of my notes that I took for the... For the liking part? Yeah. Yeah, I have to wade through all this other stuff. Um, I was going to say that um, our friend Brady, who you may have heard on some tangent trains. (laughs) The real Brady. um, The the real real Brady. Brady. Not this imposter uh, we have here. I think he could definitely learn, um, or used to learn the concept of Moo. Do you remember that? Speaking of infuriating concepts. (laughs) (laughs) Basically to replace Brady's yes and no answers to everything. Yeah, it's Moo. Neither yes or no. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Brady. Maybe Brady should take on Moo. I actually think Brady would love to read this book. But you know, uh, Brady, if you ever listen to this, listen to this book, and then, um, you know, just (laughs) send me a message saying you tricked me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's all I had. All right, Kirby. 
You got anything you want to say about what you didn't like about this book? Um, this is like a like and dislike. It's just a frustrating point of the book was that this motherfucker <laughs> knows more than I do about philosophy and is probably smarter than me. Yeah, that's an interesting point, right? Yeah. But he is not, it's very disingenuous about it. He uh, goes along this long tangent. Oh, a, if your premise that you wanted to prove literally drove you insane because you couldn't fucking resolve it, there may be an issue with your premise. <laughs> well, not necessarily. I mean, some things you just get so obsessed about. It's like the anxiety thing. You want peace of mind instead of answers. Yeah. And he was looking for answers instead of peace of mind. Um, so, he has motivated... The book has motivated me. Like you, uh, that I had mentioned about things I liked. It's like motivated me. I'm like reading through the scene about a couple hours out from the end of the book. You know, three quarters, uh, five eighths through the book. Um... I was like, especially when he got into uh, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was like taking the, uh, going for his PhD. I was like listening, I was like, God, I have to go read philosophy now. Like, I can't yeah. just like take this guy's <laughs> word for it. <laughs> I really can't. Because I think that he's like, he's a rhetorician. So everything he's done, he's set up to like support his point. So I feel like everything he's talked about is not objective. It's not, no. He's, he's like, he talks about play to putting words in people's mouth. I'm like, no, you put words in people's mouth. The, but my favorite part is he reminds you that he teaches rhetoric. <laughs> and like, but then he says like, the interesting thing to me, and I'm just like, is this a game? Is he trying, is, is this like a funny <laughs> game here? Is he trying to be like, haha, my rhetoric is so good, I will convince you that it's better than a well-proven logical argument. In fact, <laughs> rhetoric trumps everything. But I'm like, so says the rhetorician. Yeah. <laughs> well, you talk about putting words in people's mouths. You know, he is a rhetorician, but he's also telling it from a story perspective. He's not trying to tell you the truth. He's trying to tell his truth from his perspective. I love and that's what I meant about just one guy's view on philosophy. Yeah. It, I think there's an ironic point um, kind of in the late... Uh, second half or third maybe where he decides to actually follow through on the rest of um, is it Theodos? Thedris. Thedris, sorry. Oh my god. To follow through on the rest of Thedris' story after previously saying he was going to stop at that point and he's like so I want to be clear that these ideas are his and not necessarily the ones I share now but doesn't yeah. feel like it's necessary to tell you how he differs Later on. <laughs> yeah. That part's not really that important. This is a story. Let me tell you now the opinions of a madman and never question them again. Yeah, so like he, I guess he just, like, he takes you down the rabbit hole and you kind yeah. of, you cannot, like, he doesn't remind you, by the way, we're in the rabbit hole, so you just have to stop and be like, hold on, your entire frame of reference is just biased. Well, it's also, everybody thought he was insane, but he thinks he's perfectly sane. Right. You know, right. If it happened today, it would turn out much different. He probably wouldn't have been labeled insane. He probably would have Mm -hmm. gone through way more stuff. He wouldn't have had electrotherapy to split. uh, A group of like-minded insane people on Facebook, and they would have. He would have started on their own. They would have made a subreddit. (laughs) 
where all their ideas were downloaded to oblivion anywhere outside their subreddit. What the hell? Have been buried by irrelevance with the ease of access, the ease of communication. But there's nothing that says he's right or wrong, sane or insane. It's just the cultural perceptive around it. Oh, it's just. I don't know. That's the part that bugs me. Is it's not right or wrong. It's just one person's opinion. Yeah. So I was. I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish up and let other people like, get onto their like. Wow, just, like, like just we, we put him into the that guy subreddit. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, Gardner. Go. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Wow. I just. So, yeah, like, what wow. I dislike about this book, I like like as much as I like the the underlying theme, it went. I felt like it didn't go anywhere. Like he did, he went places, but it just meandered around, and I didn't really get any closure, or conclusion, or I just I liked the story. I liked the conclusion to the story part, but the sub level where he like the like talking about his ideas about quality, it just never like, came together for me. And I think it, I, I assumed it was because I have, don't have sufficient background in philosophy to be able to say oh, that makes sense or that's complete horseshit. So I can't, like, reach a conclusion because I don't have the background knowledge to... And I feel like he knows that. And he's like, you have to take my word for it. Because I know philosophy and you don't. I think that part of that's also because he didn't come to a conclusion. He went insane instead of getting a conclusion. Right. And so (laughs) if I want to keep pursuing this idea, I would want a conclusion out of it. But it didn't work out for him very well. (laughs) I don't think I'm that smart. I think it makes sense to me as to why this book is a bestseller with people not in the biz. Oh, but yeah. reviled by those who are. And I'm like, you know, though the professionals might think this trash uh, of a read, it's like, it's clearly sort of like a gateway philosophy book. I agree with that statement. You know? I think it's a great gateway. Like, it's it's going to get people who are into this sort of thing thinking about it and maybe investigating it further and then be like, hey, wait a minute. This guy's all wrong. <laughs> well, it's philosophy. You can't be right or wrong. Well, well, that's not true. Yeah. Whoa. Sure. Holy <laughs> smokes. Whoa. <laughs> Let's not get too far the rails here. I do want to. I do want to agree with Josh. This is a wonderful gateway drug into philosophy. Sure. Because I don't think I ever like seriously considered getting into reading philosophy before I read this. But this guy asked enough questions and didn't provide enough adequate answers for me that I was like, like I said, like somewhere deep towards the end of the book, I'm like, God damn it, I have to go read philosophy. This is exceedingly annoying. But then like the way he described it, I was like, you know, I might actually like it a lot. We'll find out. I'll tell you what, I'm just glad that he references the Republic over and over because that is a great place to start, right? That's where everybody in the Western tradition starts. And it is... Good stuff, and, yep. and, it, and it is in a form that he did it. I actually think he did it in this form because the Republic is kind of in this form. It's this, this guy just talking, and two guys talking usually over yeah. and over, and you have these arguments. And so, yes, I'm actually glad that he referenced the beginning over and over. I mean, like, you know, my criticism of this, what, what I really don't like about it though, is that like it's still in the same camp as like I don't know the secret. The Celestine Prophecy, another New Age bullshit, right? And <laughs> Which of those came first? You know, was I, it this? I actually don't know. I don't know. Like, was anybody doing this New Agey stuff, like, as really good-selling books before he wrote this? I'm curious. Hmm. Yeah, because let me tell you, there's a lot of, like, these pseudo, pseudo-philosophy books that came out, and, like, they'll, like, grip people, and, but, but and you know, they'll just be... 
they're useful, sort of, but they always hinge. They they take on like this religious aspect. They always hinge on a thing that cannot be challenged, that is unchallengeable. And Piercing is doing that, and that like drives me crazy, right? It drives me crazy that he insists on doing that. But then again, he's a rhetorician, so what the fuck ever. Celestine Prophecy was 93, so wow, this yeah. came way Wow, later. he's... You know, maybe that's why he actually secret, references philosophy books. The Secret was 2006. See, okay, so those guys, The Secret and Celestine Prophecy, right? Um, they never bring up their, their chops because maybe they read this guy. <laughs> I mean, no, this, but, guy, this guy had actual chops. But he, he had actually, actual chops. So, like, I actually, you know, I can't hate him too much, but I just feel like he's still leaning on, like, Celsian Prophecy yeah. the Secret. I still feel like he's still doing that thing that yeah. is just like, don't do that thing, right? Like, and, don't force people into, you know, the gripping on to these, yeah. like, uh, unchallengeable positions. I really appreciate that he did what he did. I, I, I think his greatest failure is he had a wildly... Um, I don't know how to philosophy background, but it seems like possibly had a wildly unsupportable idea, and like he had he had the chops, he had a crazy heretical idea, and I appreciate that he went out of his way to like make a thing out of it because I feel like that's how you come up with new ideas. Mm, mm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I appreciate that he did it, and I appreciate that he made a good book out of it that was easy to read and got me interested in philosophy. But oh man, it was just it was like a love hate relationship the entire way through. Anything else that you uh, really uh, hated? Man, Chris is annoying as fuck. His son? <laughs> I hate that kid. Whoa! <laughs> harsh. Now, at the end... But at, yes. At man. the end, I hated him less, because I was like, oh, right, he's like, been viewing this person as a shell of his father that isn't really his father this entire trip. Yeah. So, of course, he's been acting out. Yeah, Chris how, is. How old is Chris supposed to be in this? Eleven, book? I believe. I think he's eleven. 11. Okay, so I mean, he's a, he's still he's a child. Yeah, he's still pretty young. So anyway, uh, Chris is super annoying for most of the book. Yeah, yeah, and you know he gets vindicated later. It's like okay, that's why I understand. But in the middle, it's just like God damn, kid. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I think it was a necessary component, but that doesn't mean I, that does not mean I liked him. My empathy for children has gone up a lot recently, so I just while I really want to hate Chris, I just leave it there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, so, as a father of an eight-year-old, I kind of can get it. There's just sometimes where you just kind of have to raise your hands, and be like, "All right, you go exercise your emotions until you're ready to be human again." So, while I liked the basic <laughs> concept behind the book, I just, as I read more and more into this, it just smelled a lot like bullshit, but I didn't have enough background in actual knowledge to call it out or identify it accurately. And so I just feel, I feel the writer was being disingenuous, or like, it was just, I feel that he was, like, you know, being, uh, very, trying to be persuasive with not enough uh, solid ground to stand on. Okay. All right. Did you have anything to add, Alex? To dislikes? I don't know. You guys kind of covered it. I mean, I see, I didn't find it disingenuous at all. It was just his view on it. It's You can't prove or disprove opinions, really. Sure, right. Like, he's just got some opinions. Yeah. He's got those. You know, again, it's him versus culture. It's him versus the accepted way that certain philosophers have been viewed 
so he has a different way and just because it's different that's people think he's crazy but um yeah i don't know i i kind of wanted to hear more of the beginning of the book i think that the entire thing was good but i would have preferred more deep thought kind of stuff more how he came to some of these conclusions rather than just what happened but the stuff behind what happened yeah i feel like the the sort of story-driven narration takes a turn when um he starts talking about cedrus going back to college for philosophy and once he's actually studying and reviewing all these classic philosophy ideas and um different camps is when it becomes more of a lecture than necessarily a storytelling element. Well, it becomes more of just a retelling of what happened rather than the motives behind what happened so much. So, yeah, I think that's my biggest. Yeah, I I mean, I agree. I liked a lot of the stuff in the beginning quite a bit more, although he does say some things later on that I find compelling. It's just like you just have to like pick him up. You almost have to write him down as mm-hmm. you go, because <laughs> otherwise he's like just still like trying to like wrestle with this untackable concept. But spoilers, there's philosophers who've done it, Pearson. But if you'd finished school, <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> right, anyways, just continue on. No, I think we're on to you, Garner. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. Garner. Talk about yeah. arrogance and finishing school. Yeah, well, finishing I just, school. Garner, that's a preface before we get started here. <laughs> well, I tell people I'm reading this book, I got this book club thing, and it's about philosophy and something, something. I don't have any opinions because I don't have enough background to have enough opinions. But Garner's got some opinions. I have some opinions. Garner has got some opinions about this man. What? And his that's work. first. <laughs> well, you know, at first I was like, I was like, oh yeah, this... You know, at first I was actually just coming in. I was like, "Here comes the Celestine prophecy. Let's just get just get this over with, <laughs> right?" But then he starts bringing up like Aristotle and them, and I was like, "Oh, he is in the grand tradition of beating up Aristotle." Now he went into <laughs> he started like the first actual philosophy he brought up were Kant and Hume, I think. Yeah, he yeah. brings up Kant, and I'm like, "Don't do that! Don't do that!" <laughs> Kant is like, <laughs> Kant is. Is famous for literally saying that he, he writes down to someone. He's just like, "Yeah, I know it's kind of written obtusely, and I probably could have written it in a way that like would be easier to understand." But it's like anybody who's serious about philosophy doesn't need that to happen. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, like is, is he is he wrong? Uh, I don't know. Like, Kant is like Byzantine. It's amazing because he's like this really really good philosopher and like it's weird to me that um it's actually really weird to me that Piercing like wants to bring like Kant and him into the room and Aristotle and Plato like and just be like I'm gonna box you all at once you're not kidding That's yeah really like I'm just gonna take it all on right and it's weird to me because like Kant um well so for, so first off Aristotle um I think he brings this up in a book right about the horse but the substance of a horse, does he do it? Yeah, he does in the latter half. Okay, good. Because I was like, it's hard for me to keep it straight. Because some of these arguments are just arguments you just hear again and again, like the cave and sure. so on, right? And so so he is tackling some just basic ideas about like, and, and, they, and there's this is thing called ontology, right? It's like a whole field of philosophy about like what is, right? And that's what he's trying to do. He's like trying to like figure out what the hell is the thing, right? And and then you might have heard me talk uh, before about essence. The Greeks were into essence. 
and they're trying to figure out like the bare essential ingredients that make up that thing. Like how many, you know, before you can't even tell what it is, right? And we know this is uh, true today of our modern science, right? That you can like distort a letter on a screen so much. And then once it gets, comes too distorted, you can't recognize it. But if you only distort it like a little bit, the essential elements are still there. And the mm -hmm. mind can still read it. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes even bizarrely, right? Like even if they're the exact same symbol, but if they're just arranged a certain way, you can still read it like like an H and an N. H's and N's are often Well there's like this prop there's this <sighs> semi popular meme I've seen go around Facebook a few times where they have like a sentence and all the words are jumbled yeah. except for the first and last letter. Yes. And as long as there's the appropriate number of characters, the middle can all be mixed around and most people can read it just fine. Right, right. So 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 we are quite aware that there are these essential elements to identify something. Mm -hmm. Piercing, at first, seems like he's just trying to contribute to this argument and also beat up Aristotle. And everybody beats up Aristotle. Because Aristotle says, I mean, this guy tried to tackle like every fucking subject you could think of. So... I mean, he, he he just he just is asking to get punched on, <laughs> right? So, so at first I, I you know I didn't mind that, um, but but like him trying to take on like Kant, who actually is literally like Kant's work is like literally at points specifically about like describing what is like what bare essential elements there are like su you know like substance and texture and color. Are you trying to say something? I am going to, but you can continue. Oh. No, go ahead. I just don't feel like he tried to take Kant on at all. He you don't think so? He mentions it in the beginning, but it wasn't something that he was fighting against. He was applying it to what he was talking about. Yeah, so where he says that he's taking on Kant, where, without specifically using the words, I'm taking on Kant, <laughs> is that... <laughs> Where he does is he does not like how Kant, because Kant lists like all the things that make up a thing. Mm -hmm. Like he will be like, things have color, things have texture. And things he does have the analogy shape, right? with this is the parts of the motorcycle, the system. Right, exactly. The system. And then he pretty much says, if you're the jerk off who categorizes <laughs> things and slices and dices them into parts, then fuck you and here's my thesis. <laughs> <laughs> so he does not like Kant. Okay. <laughs> right. And so for him to take on Kant and all these people, I was just like, what What to me, and this is where like people are talking about if you have a disingenuous feeling, what I found strangely disingenuous was like, this book has like this mass market appeal to it. And it's like obvious that he's doing this, but he is not detailing Kant's argument. Well, yeah, and there's this, like... But there is this sort of, like, weird love-hate with it, too, because, you know, he's he uses Kant as a springboard to set up his ideas of the um, analytic... Um, what, what's the word he uses? He uses uh, classic and classic, romantic. Yeah. So yeah. it's classic and, and, and it's analytics nature, mm -hmm. as well as describing the knife yeah. that ana uh, analytics use to, to separate things. It's all kind of mixed in with this idea of Kant. And so while he does tear it apart from the side of the romantic, he still then applies the knife and the classic to things a lot later as well. Because yeah. he's trying to be this dualistic 
monstrosity of his own thinking. While also simultaneously saying that dualism is bad and you and need doesn't quality. Work. Yeah. 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 Just, I, I think yeah. this is all part of why the people who have a background in philosophy hate it and the people who don't are okay with it. He gives you enough information to get through his argument. To wet your tongue. To... And then if you have more information, you're like, well, what about this over here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm like, well, you know, this is awfully incomplete here. It just sort of seems like you're specifically ignoring things. I'm like, it felt cherry-picked was my problem. And mm-hmm. I was like, this it seems just awfully cherry-picked. I don't know. It's starting to seem kind of like explaining philosophy to a kindergarten class or something. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. If you explain science to a kindergarten class, you're going to skip over a lot of the hows and whys of gravitational yep. pull and everything else. Yep. Speaking of gravitational pull, what the hell was that argument about in the beginning of the book? Man, which one? The theory of gravity as a ghost. It's just like it's just it's just it's just axiomatic. Right, yeah, like on one hand, it right? is axiomatic, right? Like you know, actually, um, that was a note I took at the beginning. I was like, "Don't say ghost. You have a background in philosophy. You explain to these readers what an a priori is right now, Buster." He doesn't bring it out too much later, right? He brings it up five hours in. I took a note on it because at first I took a note. I was like, "God damn it!" And then, and then five hours later, I was like, "Oh, never mind." Yeah, you know, <laughs> right? right? But you know. It was interesting to me that he's trying to be like, yeah, something's air priori. What I found weird about the gravitational argument, and just weird, is that, like, I mean, he, he seems like a really well-educated man, like, knows about scientific process. Like, he has a whole section where he details scientific process. Yeah. Which I, which I appreciated. But then I'm like... For the mass reader. But then I'm like, why would he challenge, like, the law of gravity? Why would he just say that, that it's an a priori and we just take it for... You know, it's just something axiomatic. One plus one equals two. Why does he do that? Like, the laws of gravity have been tested thoroughly. It's not a priori. Like, it's, we aren't just saying, it just is. Right? And that, for me, was weird that he chose that specific thing. It's There's just times, there's just times it just seems like he was just wandering, right? Like, like, like. The law of gravity wasn't a good one. His whole explanation was like ones and zeros on the computers was like, what the hell? Okay, I and actually th- wanted to um, yeah bring that up because um, I thought about it. Because actually, I almost I straight stopped listening to the book for a week, and when I picked, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't figure out why. And I picked up the book, I picked it back up, and I was like, where am I? I backed up a couple minutes, and it was right back in the computer section. So like, that's why. So technically, you could have a one state and a zero state that are represented by different voltages because the zero state is just because the voltage is just measured as a reference to ground. So whatever your reference is, you measure from that reference to whatever. So yeah, that's your zero and your one. And you could have a totally different reference that's not zero or one outside of the frame of reference to the computer. But that doesn't support his damn argument. And it made me really mad. Yeah, like, like it's like, it's, he knows about logic. Like, like, he makes this argument, too, about, like, how, you know, one culture discovers a zero before another one. Right? And it's just like, but wait, like... Like what? What does that matter, right? Like, like how is like it's not the zeros or the ones that are relevant to logic, right? Like you can make a logic gate without zeros. You could have had ones and twos. Yeah, right. You just <laughs> just states. You just you don't actually. It's not relevant to have a void state, right? Like that's not the critical element. And so then, like, and then even like with features, right? Like he just butchers features constantly and if you've read the work you would know 
And and so there's like all these like little hiccups, and they just keep happening, like things where he is just obviously wrong, like just like clearly wrong. Like he has to start the preface of his book with, "By the way, I got the name I'm, wrong. I'm I I completely blew it the whole time, <laughs> right?" And it's like, yeah, that's not the only time. You should have had like a one hour addendum on things that you completely blew it on. Like how about just basic computer science? How about, like, the, how we know that the law of gravity is not axiomatic? Like, like... Well, I mean, how many times have you just been sitting around bullshitting with people, yeah. trying to think through things, and you completely forget a concept? It happens all the time. Sure, but yeah, he's so confident and arrogant about what yes, he knows that's... that anything he's wrong about, <laughs> you nail him for it. No, cause, because, um, like, he specifically, and, um, you know, before I, like, just about, like, staple myself, is his teacher, is his professor Kenig? I'm just going to say it's Kenig for right now, but please, Tech. He omits the name of his, like, professors um, that he had to the Chicago school. And by the way, the Chicago school is a great school for you Chicago school listeners. I love everything you do, by the way. Best school. I hope I go there someday. But... <laughs> His professors were not, like, some sham artists. It was interesting that he, like, omits their names because they're, like, some of them are, like, highly respected philosophers who, like, corrected, like, fucking hundreds of books. And he treats them like they're just these, like, shills, these dogmatic shills. And I was like, what? These guys are some of the greatest critical thinkers of the century. And you actually had the privilege to be in a class with them. You won't even name them. But what makes them the best critical thinkers? That culture agrees with them. That society has agreed that they are the best critical thinkers. No, because they can make a logical argument, unlike Robert M. Pierce. Right? That's the thing, right? And he is trying to say that logic is not the greatest thing ever, right? That's kind of his point, right? Right? He's trying to say logic is not so good. But, right, of course, he is having a tough time proving that it's not so good. Right, like demonstrating that is so shitty, and uh, and I, you know, I just walk away. We still remain unconvinced, like that he has made logic seem bad. Right, that's that's my challenge. That's the thing that I just dislike inherently. He makes so many mistakes, and he makes so many claims, and he tries to fight so many philosophers, and he makes all these fucking janky ass arguments. All in the defense of just saying that logic is bad. And he shouldn't be turning people away from logic. We have to deal with shitty hyperbolic arguments all the time on the internet. Every fucking day. Robin and Piercing, please get on the internet. Tell me that people need more logic. <laughs> I don't think that he was trying to bash logic so much as put quality above logic. Right, he was trying to put quality above logic. And Which what was makes sense. You need a quality logical argument if you have a unquality logical argument like he did yeah. then it gets bashed. So are you trying so, to get the name of the Chicago philosophy professor and head of the committee? Yeah. yeah Richard McKeon. McKeon, sorry. But he I was, was he the one in the 70s? I'm uh, pretty sure it was. I, so. I looked it up briefly and I was surprised that like the list of works the guy had authored. I was yeah, like... 74. I was just absolutely amazed at the number of things that he had authored and that I had read. Which, by the way, if he just read all of, yeah, he would have known. Yeah, it was really bizarre. Like, and so, 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 like, so in the end, right, like, Piercing, you know, uh, Piercing to me just, he drives me crazy 
because <laughs> he will just constantly circle and circle around because he knows that he cannot nail down his thing. He must rely on that you have this ephemeral, like th- this this transient knowledge of what quality is, even though, like, it has been described before by other philosophers in detail. Yeah. And he will not bring them up because there's a word for it even called qualia. <laughs> and he ignores it. And it just fucking drives me crazy. So there we go. That's my thing. Josh. I, I don't got too much. Um, I haven't taken any philosophy classes. I've had just a sort of, uh, I guess you could say, um, a sort of hobbyist's interest in philosophy. Um, I, for anybody else who has one or has read this book and is feeling inspired, there is a YouTube series called Crash Course on Philosophy. I think Hank Green is the host. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's, it's pretty good, yeah. I think I'm halfway through it right now myself, and uh, so far I've enjoyed it. It gets the ideas off really succinctly. Fair warning, though. Hank Green makes one argument at a time. They are not complete arguments. It's just true. Just like this book. Yep. <laughs> so it's opinions. true. <laughs> well, I mean, Hank Green just says this is my argument. Right? Yeah. This one argument. Clarifying. Okay. I I think my only real complaint with it is that the author was correct in his notation at the beginning of the book and that the ending is a little lackluster um, as far as the story goes. The Hollywood ending? Yeah, Uh, it just doesn't quite have the payoff I was hoping it might. Um, Considering that, you know, he teases, like, the mystery pretty early in the book. And then, you know, continues to dangle this carrot, and then it's finally like, and I guess he kind of gets better. Like, <laughs> <laughs> in the end, he's just like, my son convinces me that it's all good again, and I'm back to being my old self, and uh, that whole quality thing, whatever. Let's get on motorbike, go home. Yeah. Hey, no kidding, like, he just drops it. <laughs> I mean, I don't, he wrote another book afterwards, but like. I don't know, like, if he ever followed up on this or whatever. To be fair, maybe I'm being unfair to this guy right now and maybe his life <laughs> for Garner yeah. from the past. Apparently Lila does delve into the qualities or into quality much more. Oh, yeah? Because... Hmm. Uh, but it's not on Audible. You have to get a real book. Darn. <laughs> no. Real books. I have to read of my eyeballs. I only have one. <laughs> so, um... But that's all I had. I appreciate this book. It was infuriating at points, and it has probably just forced me. Like that's the thing. He makes all these like spurious claims, and I'm just like, I, I think you're full of crap. But I don't. God, I have to go research now and make sure. <laughs> I I actually just love the fact that the book got me thinking. I actually spent a lot of time thinking about quality and taking on his 350 word challenge. And trying to figure out, like, which, like, dissecting, like, it was funny, he says, like, and the knife, and I was like, yes, the knife, where was it? (laughs) And you're, like, dissecting his arguments, right? And I was just like, yeah, this is great, this is fucking great, like, I haven't done this since, since my philosophy classes, since Republic, right? So, in some ways, it's great. I actually do have some more commentary about the book, um, just certain things he said that actually I really liked. Like, he says, um, he says, you are not... Uh, so fanatical about things that uh, you that you have no doubts about, right? He's like you are only fanatical about the things 
that are in doubt. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, right? Like, nobody is like, it is, it, the sky is blue. The ocean is wet. Listen to me. <laughs> no one is doing that, right? And he's right. Like, people are only completely losing it over things that are spurious. Yeah. So like no wonder he got so fanatical. Over right, like him losing it over quality, right? You are only going to be fanatical about something that is questionable. And I was just like, yes, yes. And I, I remember I thought about it. I was like, do I have a fanatical devotion to logic? Uh, is there doubt about it? And then, of course, I'm like, of course there's doubt about it. There's been very strong arguments against pure reason. By the way, you know, Schopenhauer, if you ever want to read some really crazy book, hardest book I've ever read was freaking uh, The Will of Pure Reason with Schopenhauer. That guy. Uh, but yeah, so so um, other things, like um, like he's talking about like scientific processes, like how people, like they'll build something. They'll like build the thing, and then afterwards they're like, oh yeah, so when you build this thing, some of the rules on building it are like this. Like the rules are always added after it's finished. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like you you make the painting and then you're like, well to make this painting follow this list of steps. <laughs> right? But it was made before you had the list of steps. Right? And this is one of his strong like actually felt like his whole quality quality thing, like where it comes from. Like you have some source of information from somewhere else. And a lot of philosophers have argued that you get a source of information from somewhere else. Everyone else uses God. This guy uses quality. Whatever. And then relates it back to God. Right. And it relates it back to God. I really did appreciate early, early on when we were talking about science, we was like, where do you get your hypotheses from? Why do I come up with so many? Yeah. Where do they keep coming from? Yes. And I love it. And he, but his idea that you can make it without ever having the rules, like I felt was actually one of the strongest arguments about quality, right? Like you already knew what you sort of wanted before you did it. Um, and so, um, yeah, I just I just was really into that. Uh, I liked his idea that you, when the scientists are out like looking for things, like they're you're actually just getting bombarded with information when you're doing a study. There's like so much information you're gonna get, right? But but at some point during your process, right, you're not actually going to write down like everything that happened. Like, like, there's not very many studies about, like, what color shirts were worn when the jogger ran. Because it was, at the time, determined that that it's not very relevant. It wasn't very high-quality information to have for the study. There, there's not very many studies that, like, note the hair color, unless it's relevant to that study. And he's, he makes his point. He's just like, these guys, just for some reason, knew what would be relevant to their study and i was like okay so even though i just spent this whole time like shitting on this guy right <laughs> i do have to say that uh he does make some really strong arguments sure yeah, that's what's frustrating part it's just like he makes some strong arguments so <laughs> recommendations <laughs> his turn is it Kirby. Would you recommend this book? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hands Again. down. I hope you get mad, too, like I did. <laughs> I hope you get mad, too. Like Maybe you'll get mad at three philosophy, like I'm inevitably going to do. I think I would definitely recommend this book to anybody who is a deep thinker. 
yeah. who sits around just thinking about things. Like, a lot of people don't nowadays, and maybe they should, and maybe they should read this book to find out why they should sit around, at least the first half, um, why they should sit around thinking about things. But definitely, like, any deep thinkers, most of our group yeah. just kind of sits yeah. around and thinks and talks about things. And... I will say you ought to read The Republic... Before you read this book, dear listener. <laughs> also, by the way, um, I I said I would get to this, but um, he tries to defend the sophists, and I tried to do this too, and got like completely crushed um, because uh, there's a lot written about the sophists and their activities, about mostly how they just went from town to town and like fleece people and charge exorbitant rates. And for what it's worth, by the way, <laughs> our modern econo- uh, educational system is a resembles a sophist system just yeah. for what it's worth right like socrates like big argument against the sophists was that they charged a lot of money for the truth and socrates didn't he just like if you wanted to know the truth he'd tell you for free <laughs> right he valued the truth right and so it was interesting to me for him to like defend the sophists i actually tried to defend uh sophistry and sophist plays and stuff because um, I felt a lot of their arguments and stuff were satirical, right? And I had yeah. a joke about this. So, so I guess in my review of this, uh, uh, my, you know, me saying that read this stuff beforehand because it will it will enhance the whole thing. Like he's trying to be like maybe there's some value in the sophists, and I I had also felt that same way. Like just like how George Carlin can make pretty jabbing remarks about our society to give us insights, even though they're not strong. logical arguments, right? And the sophists did that a lot because they were rhetoricians. But then again, if you try to protect them too much, you will get your fucking teeth knocked out. There we go. Continue. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'd recommend this. Um, I actually recommended it to my parents who uh, I think could uh, get some good stuff out of this book. Um, And some other people, um, I, I know there's other people I'd recommend it to that have like a uh, the hobbyist interest in philosophy as I do. Yeah, I mean, I actually think that overall, like, the book, if you listen to it, you will start thinking. Yeah, and that's definitely. that's a good book, regardless. That's Yeah, that's, that's value right there. Heck yeah. So I think we're up to Josh picking books. Oh my goodness. Here we go. I got a list for you guys. <laughs> I am the, I'm on the receiving end of this. It's going to be like, he, he's just like Kant Hume <laughs> we're like no not Kant Josh no I did, no. did mention that I picked up Western Philosophy 40 hours totally oh, a book club read yeah it's ready for the book club you need to listen to more than an hour a day yeah that's crazy gosh I, I still think our longest one so far is uh, Thinking Fast and Slow which was like 24 hours I think jeez did you see the link I thought. in discard Maybe not. Uh, not the most recent one no there was a ASAP science on how your brain works and it's like Thinking Fast and Slow in 5 minutes what the heck kind of like that Veritasium episode but I think that was 10 minutes because you it did. was yeah. yeah so my first uh, suggestion 
is the Necronomicon by H.P. Lovecraft. What? A classic and a great follow-up to why rationalism will make you insane. <laughs> In a fictitious universe, I mean, let me tell you, though. Plus, you get to see a person use the word swarthy a lot. Surely. Yeah. yeah. It is uh, 21 hours on Audible and has a fully voice acted cast, it appears. Wow. You know, American Gods was amazing with that fully voice actor. Really? I read American Gods. I didn't listen to it. It was really good. I liked American Gods. That was Alex's recommendation, and it was good. Um, my other recommendation, where did it go, is... I'm scrolling, scrolling. It's in his list somewhere. While he's scrolling, Swarthy reminds me of Gumption and his like of the word <laughs> yeah. Gumption. Gumption, yeah. It's, it's a great word. It is. <laughs> yeah, it is great. I only bring up Swarthy because there's like some people who don't like Lovecraft and his frankly racist yeah. stuff going yeah. on. But like they point out like the word Swarthy as the sign of his racism like I'm like I think it's okay if he wants to use a fairly succinct way of describing a not white man um well the second uh recommendation here is Welcome to Night Vale by Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Craner well I thought that was a podcast it is a podcast it's also a book it is also a novel it's also a second novel takes place in the the town that the podcast is set in which came first so the podcast started first. The podcast, Welcome to Night Vale, is basically a radio show from a fictional town where weird things happen. And the book um, follows actually a couple different people living out their lives who have an intertangled storyline in this, in this town of bizarreness and weirdos. Yeah, I listened to probably five or ten Night Vale episodes and just kind of never got back to it, but it was really interesting. Yeah, there is an episode that follows the events in this book um, in the podcast, but it's not unnecessary to listen to to get the storyline here. Yeah, everything I've read um, says you don't need to have listened to the podcast yeah, to get and the book. There is another book that they're producing that's going to come out this October... But it is not a direct sequel, mm. my understanding. All right. Um, and your third? And my third one, I I toiled over whether or not I would do this <laughs> again. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I don't know. It's... Uh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you should read that one. <laughs> Josh thinks so, too. So there's this really good book, you guys. <laughs> It's called the Bible. No, <laughs> it's called the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by uh, Douglas Adams. Again, narrated by Stephen Fry, who is actually amazing. Oh, I, oh, um, I didn't know Stephen Fry did it. Hell yeah, That's probably hilarious then. Um, uh, so I think the reason why I I told myself last time I picked a book that I wouldn't do this again, <laughs> um, and I'm apparently a liar. Future self, right now. Is you. <laughs> How do you feel about past self? So the reason I lied to myself is um, after doing Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, you know, there's a lot of, like, questing for these philosophical truths here. And in Hitchhiker's Guide, they literally do that. And that's, like, one of the drives in this storyline is some of the characters are trying to figure out what the meaning to life is or the reason shit happens. And, um... Douglas Adam is just such a fucking great satirical 
intelligent writer that there's just so many wonderfully delicious layers in this small five plus hour listen that I couldn't not give it one more shot after this. Now, have you read Necronomicon or Night Vale? I refuse to answer. <laughs> <laughs> this is a bunch of horseshit. You guys told me I couldn't recommend books that I'd read before. No, we said that. We said that Gardner will shoot them down. If you have read them. So he refuses to answer because... He's probably read them. I um, do have a question, though. Yeah. Um, Lovecraft has written many books. Why... The Necronomicon specifically. So I have not read any Lovecraft, although I'm very familiar with the references. Um, and I figured this was kind of the quintessential one to try. All right. Okay. So, is it voting time? I think it's voting time. All right. So I, um, I am partial to Lovecraft. I just have to say, um... But, but I can take an easy swath here between uh, Night Vale, which um, I've been told many times is super good, um, by have, more people than Josh. Have you read Necronomicon yet? I have not. Also, the narrator to Welcome to Night Vale is the narrator to the podcast as well, Cecil Baldwin, so and he is good. really oh, good. This yeah. is amazing. Okay, so, so it's easy for me to say that, uh, of course, um, because many people have recommended to me Night Vale, uh, instead of just the one person who's recommended to me that one book. Um, my choices are definitely between Necronomicon and Night Vale, but I am leaning towards Necronomicon. How about Night Vale? I think we're going with Night Vale then, because I would choose Hitchhiker's Guide or Night Vale. I okay. have almost no interest in Necronomicon. I've already read Hitchhiker's Guide. I'm not ready to read it again yet. I'll grow granted for like five or six years. I kind of agree with Josh though, and that's why I'm kind of leaning towards it. That and Stephen Fry, but um, yeah. no, I want to. I, I want to read the Night Vale book. I yeah. want an excuse to read it because I don't have time to, even though I own the book. I haven't, been, I haven't gotten around to owning it, to reading it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this ulterior motives <laughs> twice in a row. <laughs> Buy the books that you guys want to read. Yes. I'm actually just gonna. Uh, doesn't matter that I own it. I'm gonna make the audiobook version and listen to it on my way to work because uh, Cecil Baldwin's great. Yes. Yeah. All right. Nightvale All right. So it is Welcome to Night yes. by Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Craner for next month. It is, I think, only an eight hour or so. Really? Um, no, sorry. It's 12 hours. Not three minutes. shabby. So it's a decent listen. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy and join us next time. Yeah. Good. Rest in peace, Hitchhikers. <laughs> Rest in peace. You get another chance next year. Thanks again for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed. Sound effects provided by the F Sound Band, and music provided by Ben Sound. Why not tell us what you thought of our review in the comments? And join us next time on. Book Bash! <laughs>